This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, June 22nd, 2019. I want to welcome everybody back to the show, especially the people in chat. We want to we want to reassure you that despite the fact that we are living in a horrific and hellish dark cyberpunk future that your one source of joy, that being this show, will not be going away anytime soon. Uh, Dornall, how was your week? My week, in fact, the past two weeks have been really busy at work. I regret to inform you. Uh, it's been a little slice of hell here in the Pacific Northwest, but the weather's nice. It's the weekend, and I'm here for my the highlight of my weekend, Geek Gavin. Are you doing like crunch time on a project, or? Yeah, there's a there's a deadline coming up. Uh, it's not till the end of July, but there's a lot of work to do, and there's only a few of us on the team, and so we're putting in a maximum effort every week. Alrighty. Uh, it's 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 kind of interesting. It's tough when you uh it has to do with cloud services and those can be finicky there's a lot of configuration files you have to pay attention to various security and network protocols when setting it up i'm being deliberately vague but it's it's not a, a tough problem in the sense of hardcore problem solving or or designing uh, interesting algorithms, uh, unfortunately, but uh, it is uh, a lot of trial and error, a lot of a lot of finicky work. I should say, fickle APIs and and things. So, I mean, cloud storage is a particularly difficult problem to solve, and even large, wealthy companies haven't been able to do really great solutions. Uh, Apple tried to buy Dropbox. Because they seem whatever they're doing uh, in house, they seem to have a really good solution for a lot of the problems with cloud storage. Uh, Apple tried to buy them; they said no. So Apple has to have developed their techniques and and algorithms and APIs and whatnot uh, on their own. And for a long time, they were notoriously uh, bad at it. And I'm I'm still not sure that I really like everything about what they're doing. They're a lot better than they used to be, but I'm still not fully, I don't necessarily like all the things that happen. Um, yeah, and, and my company is in direct competition with Amazon. Amazon's uh, AWS is a, a great platform, a great system, and uh, Microsoft's Azure is one of the company's best money makers. It's, it's a great it's a great system. It's a great platform, but there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. It, when you, you know, you write a you write a regular program, you make sure it it builds, it works. You test it on whatever platforms you want. You can release that however you want. If you want to set something up in the cloud, you have to worry about things such as where is it being hosted, how many instances you want to host, <clears throat> and once you set all that stuff up, you have a great system that, if you do it properly, that will handle things such as systems going down or you can scale up uh, the number of programs you're running to handle a lot of uh, requests uh, think of think of a big massive online game such as world of warcraft how many servers they have up and running just running the game and they have to handle um you know tens of thousands of connections at a time that sort of thing that's the sort of thing that that cloud gives you uh, it just makes writing for it kind of a pain in the ass. Um, I know we probably want to move on from this because this is like really typically what our audience goes for. But I do want to I do want to give a tiny little anecdote about problems with cloud with cloud uh, uh, processes. At one point in time, Apple introduced um, a service that would allow you to upload your entire music uh, library to the cloud. Um, and they did this because any songs that you have that Apple already had, 
they just used their original copy and it didn't add any more data um, to their storage requirements. And then everything that you had that didn't uh, match what they had, they would just upload. And, and again, obviously it took a while to upload depending on your internet speed, but here's the really terrible thing about it. Here's where the bad, bad error came in. You started this service, you uploaded your library and everything went fine, but it cost a fee, a certain fee per month. And at some point you decided to cancel that service. Now you still have in Apple servers, all of your music, there's a question of what they call the truth. That is, where is the accurate data? Are you going to assume the accurate data is on your phone or your computer or your tablet? Or are you going to assume the accurate data is in the cloud? Well, most people, including Apple, assume that the truth exists in the cloud. And so anytime you had to sync, it would add or delete data from your phone or your computer to make it match to the truth. So what had happened is you had the service, you got all your uh, music uploaded, uh, all your playlists, everything, so that you had a complete duplicate of your home uh, MP3 player data that you could just tap into and stream to your phone for no extra charge once you paid the monthly fee. But then you cancel it. Now, once you've canceled it, nobody realized this for years because people would go in out of the blue and say, oh, you know what? This sounds like a good service. And they had a new service that included this kind of upload thing. And they turned it on. And all of a sudden, songs would be deleted from their local PC. Sometimes dozens oh, no. or hundreds of songs would be deleted from their local uh, PC. Because you had had the service before and it assumed the truth was in the cloud and it was just syncing the truth back to your computer. Oh, just synchronizing it. That's, oh, what a huge mistake. Yeah. And it's a simple mistake to make. You can see how its process happened. It took, people were like rummaging around and trying to figure out what had happened. And I, I'm pretty sure that I was the first one who figured it out because it happened to me, but I only lost a few songs because I keep psychotic backups of stuff. Um, so I was able to get them back. I was able to restore them. This is you got to understand this about Daddy Warpig. He he backs everything up. He doesn't need a computer chair or a gaming chair. He simply sits on a stack of hard drives <laughs> that he uses as backups. Almost true. Yes. <laughs> but so I, I was the one who figured it out. I had a lot of big name like Apple people in the media who hadn't figured it out. And I tried posting to all of them and nobody would listen to me. So I said, like, yeah, screw it, whatever. I did my due diligence. I figured out the problem for me. And I fixed it. And then a few months later, they introduced a wipe out your music library in the cloud setting that you could go to and just completely reset it to prevent this from happening. And so I looked at that and said, oh, I was right. Surprise. Uh-huh. Warpig is right. That's Warpig is right as usual. That's 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 um, that's a terrible service. But yeah, like you said, you could easily see how someone developing the service easy bug to easy bug to put in, easy mistake to make. Uh, it's it's a shame that so many people lost uh, information over it. Yeah. Uh, another cool thing happened this week that I just remembered. Uh, I I had a brief meeting with uh, your favorite Hispanic science fiction author. Uh, uh, John De La Rose was in town, so uh, I, I met up with him on, on Wednesday, introduced him to the wonders of Gloomhaven. So oh. I think I think he's he's going to have to... I told him he doesn't need work or family or anything like that. Just get a copy, start playing that. Uh, so so that was cool. That, that, was, uh, that was a highlight of the week. I don't know, man. Have you seen his wife? Yes, I have. Mrs. Delarose is is delightful. Um, actually, I was going to ask if uh, if you guys had hung out while he was up in your neck of the woods. So, you know, hey. Exactly. Yeah. No. He 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 came up. Um, last time he was up was two years ago. We we uh, had lunch then. Uh, this this time he was busy the whole day. So I just I I saw him briefly. 
uh, on Wednesday night. But he, he came up, he hung out with uh, me and the boys when we were playing our nerdy Gloomhaven game. It was good. Um, trying to think. This week, not last week, but this week has been pretty usual for me. Doing research, doing Twitter, uh, making notes. Uh, I had a... I want to say this for authors. And this may this advice may help you or it may not, or it may help you only in really specific situations. I had a particular setting, a setting in the role-playing game sense, right? So like Forgotten Realms is a setting, or Midnight is a setting, or the world of Shadowrun is a setting. So I had a particular setting I have been busting my head against for, well, just since 1991. So, or technically 1992, early 1992. So you can see how long I've been working at this and working at this and working at this. Uh, I've done multiple revisions and none of them worked. None of them got me closer to where I was. What finally worked for me, and it may work for you, I've developed a habit over the past four years of looking at different art, concept art or, you know, fan art or whatever. So you can get this on ArtStation, you can get it on DeviantArt, uh, or a new, a new site I found in the last couple of weeks called Heritage Auctions, where they actually sell originals of uh, some of these cover paintings. So I posted some Conan paintings and some uh, Earl Norum men's pulp covers last week. That's where I got them from is Heritage Auction. And the reason why they're good is because they have insanely high resolution scans of these original artworks for different covers for different magazines. So you can find, if they have it, and they don't have everything, most of the stuff they have is from like 70s, 80s, or even older. They don't have a lot of modern stuff because uh, they don't sell artwork of a lot of modern stuff. Like actually, people used to do big oil paintings on canvas for, uh, that was the original art for magazine covers. And we don't do that so much. It's all done on computers mostly. So... I went there because they do these insanely high resolution picks and I was looking through them and looking through them and looking through them and all Conan covers, there's some very common themes that are all like commonly found on Conan covers. Demons, big muscle barbarians, beautiful women, you know, down at his feet, begging him for help. And I had been having a horrific time that day because this problem has finally reached its uh, crisis point. I can't go forward unless I solve this. And I've been trying to solve this for 27 years, if my math is correct. Um, it checks out. So uh, I was pounding in my head and what actually allowed me to see to solve it is i was looking at all these pictures and stuff and i was just going through the back of my mind well what is it because this is my theory when building a setting what you want to do uh, and these two things are almost always going to be the same you want to make that setting into what the audience already expects it to be what they already expect it to be, and what it should be. And those are probably going to be the same. And I found that in every instance it's the same. So I can't say that absolutely definitively. So if you're writing a steampunk story or creating a steampunk world for a role-playing game, you have to make that steampunk world for the best results to please the audience, you make it either what the audience already expects it to be or what it should be. And it may take you some um, repeated iterations before you hit that point. So this is my theory. 
and I've been trying to apply it and haven't yet before this event. I looked at all these pictures, and then I was really, really sick. And so my brain was really fuzzy. I couldn't think sharply. I couldn't think super logically. But what I could do is kind of uh, move my thoughts out of focus so that I wasn't focusing on any one specific detail, but I was kind of looking at the whole thing at a whole, right? Just trying to take in everything. And I'm asking myself, what is it, if you were to write a, an adventure module in this setting, what is it that you would expect to be there? And then I'm going through all the typical um, all the typical elements that I've already included. And I'm like, I've already done that. I've already done that. I've already done that. Oh, but the one thing I'm missing or something else I would want is uh, beautiful women who are native tribesmen. And all of a sudden, you know, I get this jolt of thought because that's exactly what it's missing. And, and I will say that this, this world, this setting, is kind of a lost world setting. So it's got dinosaurs, it's got giant fauna, it's got kaiju like, uh, you know, King Kong. Um, and the primary race is a non-human race, the Saurians. And the Saurians are, as human beings are related to hominids, the Saurians are related to dinosaurs. Um, That's awesome. So, but what I didn't have, what I absolutely needed, is human beings that were native to this world. Because the only race on this world were Saurians. And I absolutely needed humans. And all of a sudden, just that change, it's just a little change. All the dinosaurs stay, the Saurians stay, the Kaiju stay, the, you know, kilometer tall trees stay. All of the other stuff stay, runes of ancient civilizations, but I added in human tribes. And so the change was, instead of five different Saurian sub-races, I went to three main races, humans, Saurians, and sectoids. And sectoids are uh, intelligent insects, big intelligent insects, like human size. Cool. And then everything cleared up. Everything was absolutely perfect because how many times have you seen pictures of men and women in skimpy uh, furs, Tarzan, Sheena, uh, Lady of the Jungle, I think, or Queen of the Jungle, um, on and on and on. Human beings and skin, and even like, when the X-Men went to the Savage Land, you have Rogue, Savage Land Rogue, who is, you know, your typical flying mutant in the green and yellow, only she's in this uh, bikini that because her clothes get all torn up. Beautiful women and, and hostile or friendly tribes are intrinsic to this kind of setting. And I didn't have it. And once I realized that from looking at this art and from kind of defocusing on the, the problem, instead of stacking up individual pieces, just kind of looking at, at a, as a whole, um, then the solution came to me and uh, it's changed everything. Uh, it's changed the way of building a continent. It's changed. It, it has opened up. Um, thousands or, or tens of thousands of, of options for me in, in this setting and what I want to do. And uh, it is absolutely, uh, you know, amazing. And that's what it took, being really, really tired and sick, looking through this art and choosing that moment to defocus and kind of pick out of this what I needed. So my suggestion might be, in certain circumstances, it might be helpful, instead of focusing on details of something that isn't working, to defocus a bit and look at it as a whole, look at it as a gestalt, and see what you're missing from the gestalt. And even just one element you're missing, just one element you're missing, once you add that in, it might change everything. A little bit of advice. And, and you have that that epiphany just scanning the all the classic art covers yep uh, the classic cover art i i have found that artwork 
of random things, even stuff that isn't related to what you're doing, can inspire you, even if it's not that you want to duplicate that artwork, even if it's just, oh, wait, yeah, that's an element I forgot. What about that element? What would be the equivalent in this setting and adding it to it? That's why you know video games and, and TV shows and movies can also be helpful, not so much that you want to copy them, and I'm not saying that's good or bad, because sometimes you do want to copy them, or sometimes you want to copy it, give it your own twist, and then put it in your world. There's a lot of different things you have to do to make something right. Um, but if you are, as long as you're getting, as long as it's provoking that creative thinking, as long as it's causing you to think about things that you hadn't thought about, haven't thought about before, um, then it's it's all good. And and I'll. Uh, we can go into the next thing. We were going to be talking about um, about zombies, right? And I suggest maybe uh, we were going to talk about zombies last week. Um, and because I had watched all of the dead movies, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, uh, Night of the Living Dead remake from 1990, Day of the Dead, a movie called Anna and the Apocalypse, Diary of the Dead, Survival of the Dead, Making of Day of the Dead, and Making of the 1990 Dawn of the Dead. Um, I watched all of those in one week. Holy cow. Seven days I watched all of those because I needed to do research on zombies. I needed to have my my head, you know in the right space to see you, what you, you wanted to become one with all the tropes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, a really good way of putting it. You're, you're now a walking encyclopedia of zombie tropes. <laughs> Holy cow. I, and no wonder you weren't feeling well last week. <laughs> so this is, that's what we were going to talk about last week. So we'd have figured out, maybe we'll talk about it among some other stuff this week. So one of the things I've been doing is playing zombie video games. I own several video games, Dying Light, um, Dead Island, um, Dead Rising, that four-game uh, series, um, you know, Red Dead Redemption, Undead Nightmare, uh, State of Decay, State of Decay 2. If there's a major zombie game that has come out, uh, let's see, Call of Duty 3 had a zombies mode. That was pretty cool. Um, if there's a major game that either is about zombies or had, uh, yeah, played a lot of Call of Duty Nazi zombies. Um, I have killed, uh, Left 4 Dead, Left 4 Dead 2. I have killed hundreds of thousands of zombies, literally. And I know that because there's two achievements <laughs> for killing 52,000 zombies. I got <laughs> both of them, so... Oh, no. <laughs> it's literally hundreds of thousands of zombies. That's not an exaggeration. I am mathematically certain that it's at least 104,000 zombies in games. And, and you can learn a lot. If you're making a zombie setting or if you're making a zombie story, you can actually learn a lot from playing these games. Like playing the Call of Duty 3 zombie game that started me off on this entire long write-up of tips and tricks for zombie hunters. Like, if you are out hunting zombies, and you say, well, what use is that? Are you going to tell people that? No, it's, it's useful in the setting because people who are in the setting will want to repeat and garner and use um, tips and tricks like this. They would share them for effective zombie hunting. Um, and so uh, little things like, in the absence of external stimulus, zombies tend to react in the same ways. Stand around and wait, move about randomly, wait in hiding in a covered spot or lying on the floor, follow other zombies, etc. There you go. It's a little tip. If you're a zombie hunter, what zombies tend to do. Um, oh, you know what? I should have been writing this down. I'm going to have to get the transcript later so that I know what to do. <laughs> Anytime a zombie comes at you from one direction, there are invariably more coming from that same direction. Constantly. Every time. Um, remember, you'll almost never be in trouble hunting zombies. But when you get in trouble, 
It'll happen fast and you'll be in it deep. Open the wrong door, a horde starts pouring out, and suddenly it's time to make the fallback point. And there's never any warning, right? There, right. There's there's never any indication that there's a horde of zombies on the other side of the door. You just you open the door and you're like, huh, I think I would have heard that before I opened the door. Um, so anyways, I've got lots and lots of these that I got just from playing zombie games and then applying some basic logic. Uh, and you're going to say, well, zombie games aren't reality. No, they're not reality. But they're as close to reality as you're going to get with actually fighting zombies one-on-one. -on -one. And if you apply some imagination to your experiences in the game, um, you can get a... Uh, you can get a lot of good advice. And I, I think this, once I come out with the setting that this document is part of, uh, I think it's going to tickle people's funny bones. I think they're going to enjoy it. Because uh, it's not super... Um, it, anyways, it's just enjoyable. It's entertaining. I've written it up in an entertaining way. So anyways, back to what I was going to talk about, which is um, zombie games... I get, and I don't know if you can apply this to other genres. I don't know if you can apply this to like steampunk by playing steampunk video games. Steampunk is is kind of more visceral. You don't have that panicky minute to minute problems that focus your mind on things. And so I've never gotten a list like this from anything else I've played. And I played a lot of games, um, a lot, a lot, a lot of games. Um, I think I have like 490 games for the Xbox One, which includes backwards compatibility games from the 360 and the Xbox. Uh, and I've never gotten any ideas like this for any other genre. But there are just a lot of... Zombie hunting is all about the crisis point and what you do when that crisis point comes. Not when one zombie is shambling towards you, because you can usually handle them pretty easily. Not when two or three zombies even are shambling towards you, but when you have a whole horde, when you have five zombies or ten zombies or twenty zombies shambling towards you, what do you do? And so brainstorming that through just thinking about it is fine. But if you've gone in and you've played a game where you actually have to make real-time decisions on this, you can't pause and think about it, you just have to go, that focuses your thinking. That gives you a better idea of what uh, trying to face down a zombie horde is like. And so in this specific case with this specific genre, uh, live-action video games are a lot better for creativity than just about anything else because... You're as close to that, you're in as close as you can get to that experience. And it very it is very much a matter of managing panic and having prepared uh, options beforehand so that when the press of events comes, you can do follow through with your plan and it won't matter that you're panicking somewhat. And that's why the video games are helpful if you're making a zombie setting. Writing a book, writing a short story, making a zombie setting for a role-playing game, whatever. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question tangentially related to uh, chat. Uh, a lot of people are kind of find zombies as, as a villain or a theme sort of passe. So yeah. what's... How do you make that interesting? Is uh, are they still good villains for a game or or a film? I guess they're not really villains in film. They're just part of the part of the environment. I don't know that I'm going to be able to give a concrete response to that. Other than again, what I said earlier, you have to let a setting be what the audience already unconsciously expects it to be, and what it should be. And one of the settings I'm working on, it just has to have zombies. It just has to. That's like not even, I couldn't not have them. In fact, I made a decision because a very close friend of mine at one point said, man, zombies are awful. I'm so sick of zombies. If I never see another zombie game again ever in my entire life, I will be happy. Um, and so I declared, all right, no zombies in this setting. 
And over the course of like four or five years, I had to just, it didn't work. The setting didn't work without zombies. And so I had to put them in. So I'm not, I don't know how to tell you in the audience how to sell that to make it work. Because everybody's saying that zombies are passe. All I, all I know is for this setting, for this project, for what I want to do with it, I had to have zombies and I had to have stories with zombies in them. In fact, the very, very first story I'm planning on writing, I've got um, some things that aren't, aren't actually technically zombies that people will call zombies, so that's fine. Um, and I just am going to have to make it work. That's part of the reason why I was watching all of those zombie movies is, okay, what are the tropes? What is it that people do? What is it that everyone does? Because George Romero kind of created it. He started it. Um, and so now I know what I can do, what I shouldn't do, or how to, you know, once I get started to writing it, how to twist them to make them original or interesting. Um, so I, I don't know that I have at this point in time any actual concrete advice. All I can tell you is if you're making a setting and it demands there be zombies in it, you just have to put aside all thoughts that, oh, zombies are overplayed or zombies are, you know, everybody's bored of them or whatever. Stop second-guessing yourself. If this is what the setting requires, this is what you do for the setting. Cool. I kind of... <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, what can I say? I, I don't really have anything to to add to that. I I'm not a I'm not a zombie movie fanatic. I really liked the uh, the Dawn of the Dead. What year was what year did that come out? Two thousand four. Two thousand four. Yeah, I liked that one. That was that was pretty good. But uh, that they've never really been. Uh, but in games, that's that's a different story because I ra I raised myself on I I was an orphan and I raised myself on. Resident Evil 2 on, on the PlayStation. That that was my jam. I, I'd be kind of interested to, think, uh, to see what you think of the remake. I, w I should try it. I haven't played it yet. I, did they... I, one really important question I have. Did they use the new Resident Evil 4 style controls? Did, did they get rid of the old awkward alone in the dark style controls and, and trade that out for the action oriented Resident Evil four controls. Do you know that? Yes. It's, it's, it's basically the entire game has been remade as, uh, as pretty much any zombie shooter that you would play that you would expect. Mm, I see. Well, I, it sounds like it'd be worth a playthrough. The, I thought it was a fun and interesting game. And I thought the, the awkward control scheme was part of the fun. Uh, they frustrate a lot of people to no end. But it was a good so early 3D games like uh, like Resident Evil 3 and or I mentioned Alone in the Dark that was a classic a PC classic same sort of horror theme same control scheme and they did it for a very good reason because of the 3D environments if you change the camera which in video games is supposed to be a no no right if if you sometimes the camera angle would change drastically such that the direction you were pushing is no longer oriented the same way. And they had this really awkward control scheme where as long as you held up, your character would go straight in, in the direction he's facing. So that's how you get around that problem where if, if the camera angle tr does a uh, you know 90 degree turn, you're not all of a sudden running left yeah. on the screen when you wanted to run up, that sort of thing. Um, that was one of the things that that made the game charming, I think, and it made it difficult. It made it made slow zombies who did you know very little harm to you. They made them a threat because you had to you know really the the screen would shift, the camera angle would change, and you'd have to adjust to that uh, and get around them. So that made the survival aspect of the survival horror. But I understand. So these zombie games matured into um, just action fests, right? Even before even before the game series finished on the PlayStation. They had Resident Evil 3, and it was just guns everywhere. Uh, they, had, they had a big scary monster in the Nemesis, and you could just you just empty a couple of clips into it and stop it, right? Uh, so I don't I don't blame the the genre for turning into that sort of shooting gallery of zombies. 
style of game. Uh, but it's the reason why I stopped playing. Uh, I, I liked the survival aspect of the survival horror. I liked the extremely limited ammo uh, in the game, uh, that sort of thing. Or being rewarded you know, by, by survival and, and clever searching for more ammunition, right? Sometimes you'll find a, a cache of ammunition you know, hidden behind some artifact in the game where it's not visible on screen, right? That sort of thing. Yeah, I liked that stuff. I liked that stuff. So I would. Uh, so what I'm saying is, Resident Evil 2 wasn't interesting for the narrative, or uh, or the characters, or anything like that. Uh, who, who cares? Uh, it's it's a video. It's a video game story. It's a zombie video game story. Uh, the story is stupid. Uh, so I guess people playing the remake for n- nostalgia. That sounds interesting. Uh, People who liked Resident Evil 2 but want that new school shooting gallery feel. I can appreciate that, but that's not me. That reminds me, uh, did you watch much of E3 this year? Uh, I watched the Xbox presentation all the way through, and I watched at least one other, but I can't remember who the other was. Oh, I think I watched the Bethesda one. Oh, dear heavens. Well, I, I want to ask you about that. But first, they did the same thing as Resident Evil with uh, Final Fantasy VII. Very exciting remake. Very exciting announcement, complete with some gameplay and and cutscenes. They basically redid the demo from the original PlayStation. If you remember, the first level was like a, a heist starting on a train. and And it looks like they redid that level. But they changed the way the game plays. It it looked like a you know a standard action combat, which same thing as Resident Evil Two, right? The story wasn't that great. There's no reason to replay the story. You could just go play the old PlayStation game. Uh, it's great to see these characters and you know all the all the hours that the artists put in making these beautiful uh, cutscenes and and the models and the gameplay and everything like that. But if the, the core gameplay, the combat, it's completely different, what, what's the point? You're not replaying Final Fantasy VII. You're playing a new action game with the same narrative. Sort of weird to me. I don't know. Did you see those? Did you see the, the images from that? I have, I have seen the uh, quote-unquote controversy uh, about certain things. And that's really where I got... Any news I've seen about Final Fantasy? I've. But I you have, never played it, right? You never played the original on the PlayStation. I have never played Final Fantasy VII. The only one I played is what fifteen. Is that the yeah, that was, band that, that was one? the recent one. Yeah. That's uh, the only I Final Fantasy you've ever played. That's, that's unusual for for a gamer with your uh, history. <laughs> I've I've got an unusual history with games. The first console I ever owned was in two thousand and five. Uh, it's an Xbox, the original Xbox. And so anything before that on console, I never really had a chance to play. Oh, you missed out. You missed out on some classic gaming. I'm a big fan of the 16-bit era myself. That's because I'm old. I got, uh, I think it was Super Mario Brothers 3. I played through that all the way uh, over a week when uh, someone's sibling uh, loaned our apartment their Nintendo in one game. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, that was one of that was one of the best NES games ever made. One of the best. Um, that's the one where they had the flying raccoon, right? Yep, that's the one. Yep, I played that, and I played Super. Uh, was it Super Mario Brother? The original. Um, the oh no, your princess is in another castle. Yeah, that's it. Super Mario Brothers. Yep, Classic. I played that too. Uh, but other than that, no. People are going on about all these games. They're like, oh, these are awesome. My my brother-in-law bought his kids one of those miniature Nintendo consoles with a bunch of games loaded into ROM. Um, and he also bought the PlayStation one from the original PlayStation. So I guess I could have played some of those recently, but I'm busy, busy, busy. Well, anyway, what'd you think about what'd you think about the other stuff? Um, the Bethesda 
press conference was just an absolute disaster. Uh, I don't know if it was a beforehand event or what. I can't remember. But all they announced was like, NPCs are coming to Fallout 76. So now they'll actually have characters who talk that you can talk to and stuff. Whatever. Should have been from their beginning. It's... And then they added a Battle Royale mode to Fallout 76. I'm thinking, golly, you've made a game that I wasn't interested in anyway, and I'm still not interested in. You've made it marginally better. How, how thrilling. And then the rest of their press conference just, oh, yeah, Doom Eternity. Okay, that was a good announcement. Um, they did a lot of good stuff with Doom Eternity, but everything else was just kind of, eh. Doom Eternity, isn't that id Software? Yeah, id Software is owned by Bethesda now. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, but it's it, is it not still run by um, Carmack and no, Romero? No, I don't think so. I think he left the company. Mm. Uh, that's how old my that's old my knowledge is. So. I mean, Doom Eternal looks great. It looks like um, they're taking all the stuff from the last Doom game, which was quite popular, and just, you know, adding some more. Not quite doing it all over again, but adding some more stuff to make it even better. That's the way they present it, at least. So I'm, I'm guessing that people who loved, and a lot of people loved, that last Doom game, I'll call it Doom 4, even though it's just Doom, a lot of people love Doom 4, will love Doom 5, um, but, uh, and so they did a they did a powerful introduction to it, great video, great presentation, um, so I'm guessing people will like that. You know, the funny thing about it is, one of the games id came out with a long time ago was Rage, um, and... I bought that when it first came out, and I only just finished it uh, this year. I think I mentioned this two weeks ago when we did the show, talking about the uh, post-apocalyptic games I played. Uh, Rage 2 tried to do the Doom thing, but did it worse. It's like it almost includes some things from Doom, specifically like pushing forward to kill people because killing people is what gets you health and ammo. And then if you do the special uh, killing move up close and personal, you get even more. They tried to implement uh, mechanics like that in Rage 2. They just didn't do it very well. Oh, that's too bad. I, so, I guess, I mean, it, I don't have a lot of confidence in the, in the gaming industry right now. Nope. Just based on, on all, this, all the lukewarm reception. Uh, and of course, getting... of course, the best thing at the show was Keanu Reeves. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, surprise. Cyberpunk 2077 might actually... It has a release date. Who knows if it'll actually be released. The uh, CD Projekt Red infamously having development problems on Cyberpunk 2077. I thought it was pure vaporware, and I think it was for years. And now Keanu Reeves is in it. That's great. Yeah, that that was. Uh, I watched that live. I didn't see that later. I watched that uh, presser, the uh, Xbox E3 presser. I watched it live, and so when Keanu came on, I was like, uh, and, <clears throat> and he plays the iconic Cyberpunk tw uh, 2020 character Johnny Silverhand. Yeah, which which me and Bradford C. Walker and three other people know about, but still. For cyberpunk fans, it's really exciting. Um, and, and I think that really just everybody likes Keanu Reeves right now. He's very, very popular, and I think that gave their... Uh, this is the only time that I have seen celebrity casting make a game actually be more... Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Be an effective advertising tool. Because they had Jean-Luc Picard... In Oblivion, right? Uh, Elder Scrolls Oblivion, Elder Scrolls 4? Yep. Nobody cared. No. 
And he was only there for the intro scene, for the tutorial before he got killed off. Sorry, spoilers for what, like a 13-year-old game? <laughs> Spoiler alert! Um, but yeah, I mean, nobody cared when they announced Jean-Luc Picard. Um, and a lot of the other celebrity stunt casting just hasn't done anything for the game except makes them throw away money. Uh, Fallout 3 had some celebrities in it, but they didn't uh they weren't pushed as being celebrities they were just voices in the game and the actors actually delivered uh a strong performance but uh yeah but keanu reeves is the one time that got people just revved up and wanting to to buy the game uh and apparently their pre-sales put it on top of Steam. It is the most purchased game on Steam just on pre-sales. Well, they're actually going to have to del deliver a game now. Yeah. So That's great to hear. It, it, I Cyberpunk 2020 is one of my formative gaming experiences. Uh, it and D&D are, are the two big role-playing games that I played as a Ute and I'm really happy to see them turn that into a, a fun game. And of course they've got the original designer, Mike Pondsmith. He's the, he's consulting on the whole project uh, with the introduction of Johnny Silverhand. You can tell it's, it's all based on his ideas, the, the storyline anyway. So. And one of the kind of neat things about it is they had a bunch of different source book that, that took things in a different way. They were based on different cyberpunk settings. Like that, have a source book for uh, Walter John Williams Hardwired. That is a source book called Cyber Generation that was a little bit more about preppy based on a couple of different cyberpunk works. And so it, it kind of went in a, uh, you know, D&D-ish direction. Well, they have unified all those timelines. So now all of those things happen in the same timeline and the next edition of cyberpunk tabletop is called cyberpunk red and when it comes out it's going to have all of the things that show up in the video game are uh, going to be set up in the tabletop source book it, it occurs like 30 years before the video game um so at one point in the video game and you saw this in the in the trailer or in the gameplay footage, they have this gigantic, I think it's called Paradise. It's like this gigantic Arco Mall. It's an arcology, a huge building that can hold tens of thousands of people, only it's a shopping center. And it was supposed to be like the revitalization of Night City, only now in 2077, it's this um, failed project, all the backers pulled out, and so they've never finished building it. And it's overrun with criminals and scum. It's the worst, most violent, most dangerous part of the city. Well, in Cyberpunk Red, the tabletop game, that's when it was first being built. And so it's actually a really nice place with high security. And so you're going to see all the gangs, like the Voodoo Boys and the Animals uh, and the major sections of the city and all that, all of the things that show up in 2077 are going to be set up in Cyberpunk Red as they were like 30, 40 years before the video game. So that's kind of interesting to me. I love it. It's a great idea. Um, because the the Cyber Generation was s sort of a reboot of the of the game and it didn't wasn't really successful i think the as a role-playing game the genre's time has sort of passed but if this renews an interest in it especially since we're you know we are in fact living in a cyberpunk dystopia right now <laughs> i think uh, yeah i think i think there's space for it to come back which is great you know what maybe i'll start running a cyberpunk game at the local gaming store we'll see um also, Brad Walker mentioned another thing in the uh, E3 that everybody loved was uh, Akumi Nakamura's presentation of Ghostwire Tokyo. Um, 
and I did see this as well live. Uh, um, she was just so fun and upbeat and darling. Um, how could you, you know, how could you hate that? Everybody loved her except for, you know, this small bundle of crazy people because internet's got internet. Oh yeah. Everybody's got a hater on the internet. Um, and they were just yelling at it for like, Oh, you're just acting artificial to appeal to Western, uh, prejudices and stereotypes of Japanese women. That's not how you'd really act. And you're like, what? What? She just, I don't know, man. <laughs> I got that she was absolutely sincere and so excited. I mean, bubbly. It's just, uh, and she is not a celebrity, but her uh, presence gave that game a boost uh, not quite as big as Keanu, but bigger than anything else that happened at E3. You just can't fake enthusiasm like that. And I thought it was really uncool for people to be uh, attacking her and running her down and stuff. And just like, dude, I know this is the internet, but man, do you got an internet so hard? <laughs> Unfortunately, sincerity is not appreciated. Um. I don't know. Everything else I remember from E3 was all disappointing or just not interesting to me. Um, That's a shame. That's a shame. I'm the only game I'm really excited uh, to come out is Cyberpunk. I'll be honest. Uh, I'll play. I'll, I'll almost certainly buy Dying Light too because zombie game. Um, <laughs> Yep. But uh I uh I don't know how good it's gonna be. I hope it is. I hope it's good. I because I'm you don't buy games wanting them to be crap unless maybe you're a reviewer. But you know, I'm spending sixty bucks to buy a game. I want it to be good. I want it to be worth sixty bucks. Um and so I'm hoping it's good. It just so many disappointments. So, oh well. Cabby uh, Khan just joined us uh, in the chat, and he says, uh, "What are you not excited for Fallout seventy six Battle Royale mode?" I I don't see how anybody could be. I don't even know what Fallout seventy six is. All I know is that that everybody's mad at it or something. Fallout seventy six is a mini MMO. It's an MMO where you have like 50 people on the same server at the same time. Oh. <laughs> Great. It's set in the Fallout universe uh, in 2170s. It's, it's, it's set just a few years, you know, like 50 years after the war. So it's the earliest game chronologically. It's set in West Virginia. Um, but... The original, first off, nobody who likes Fallout wanted this game. Nobody wanted a live service Fallout game with pervasive microtransactions to buy crap. Nobody did. No, no, nobody wants microtransactions at all. Um, and there is a ridiculous microtransaction for Skyrim. I don't even want to talk about it. I, I want to finish up with 76 because we've only got a few months or a few minutes to go. Um, 76 didn't have NPCs. None. It was just the other players. It's just the other players. And quests, all they were were find a tape, listen to the tape. Go to another location, do something, listen to a tape. Go to the last location, fight a boss battle, listen to a tape, get some loot. All right. Thrilling. Yeah, that, that sounds exciting. Thrilling is not the word to describe this. <laughs> and so everything else they did was just, they, they, on a technical level, now on a conceptual level, it was already a mess. It was a game nobody wanted, and even those who might have wanted a game like this didn't want no NPCs. 
I mean, can you imagine World of Warcraft with no NPCs or? Right. Yeah. That's. It's uh, why even have multiple people on the same server? Yeah. You know, why make it multiplayer at all? That's, so, that sounds like that sounds like a a browser game. Um. So conceptually, nobody wanted this game anyway. And then the way they implemented it was so buggy, was so uh, either misdesigned, the game mechanics were designed badly, or buggy, so the game mechanics just didn't work, that it was a farce to play through anyway. Um, and there were famously, stores would have crates of these unsold boxes of Fallout 76 that they were selling for like two bucks uh, or that they had literally donated to Goodwill. So you could <laughs> walk, <laughs> walk into a Goodwill store and find a box of unopened, unplayed Fallout 76 discs. <laughs> I mean, that's when you know, you know, your game is... Is successful. Wow. You have some marketing dweebs say, we, uh, in our efforts to make an outreach to the retailer community, we managed to put our game on many store shelves that games like this uh, have never appeared on before. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so it was a disaster, beginning to end. And, uh, man, I, I, I can't even work myself up into like anger about it. It's just, like, <laughs> it's not worth getting angry about, you know, no. I'm, 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 I'm glad that there may be a video game worth playing in the near future. Um, I, I'm just gonna have to say for, for you and, and the audience, I might be just done playing video games. Really? Forever. It just, what is there that's that how how valuable is that as entertainment these days um i have heard uh rumblings from people that they think there's a big collapse coming to uh fandom media video games comics movies um whatever that they see signs, and, and I don't know if this is true or not, uh, but Pulp Archivist on Twitter was talking about this. They see signs that people, uh, he said the grifters were starting to pull out of video games and other fan media, and there's signs that like EA is having problems. Epic is having a great deal of controversy over the Epic Store, and that might be causing problems. Um Activision isn't turning in all the uh, financial results that it used to. Uh, and then if you want to jump into comics, Marvel and DC are both deep in the swamp, deep in the quicksand and are not managing to get themselves out. Um, and I personally am predicting that the viewership numbers, for various reasons, the viewership numbers of the next phase of the Marvel a cinematic universe are going to start dropping. I don't know that it'll be a catastrophic immediate drop off, but they're going to start destroying their brand. And so they're going to see, start seeing dollar returns and, and uh, viewership numbers drop. And of course, star star Wars has recently hit, uh, hit the wall. And so they're rebooting all of star Wars. Um by setting the next movie trilogy back in the Knights of the Old Republic era. Really? They're not, they're not flashing forward. They're going to the past. Yep. Mm. Um, and I think they think by making movies about a, a really well-loved, uh, two well-loved video games that they can draw in the core Star Wars audience. I, as long as Kathleen Kennedy's in charge, I don't see that happening, but, Anyways, he was suggesting for different reasons. These are just my reasons that I could see that might go along with the same theory that, yeah, it, it looks like there's a potential for some, you know, for blood to hit the floor for a lot of these things all of this, around the same time. I mean, I'm not surprised. Uh, there's so much fatigue around the the nerd pop culture. They're the companies that 
own the properties are flagrantly abusing them, serving serving us our IP flavored gruel every year. When and you know a new Star Wars movie used to be a, a cultural touchstone. Hey, you know that's great. You can talk to just about anybody in America about the Phantom Menace or whatever. But yeah, the fatigue set in and the quality's low and and we we live in the age of Amazon where we're just getting spoon-fed garbage every day delivered to our doorstep, you know, with no work on our part and it's just not satisfying. This doesn't this doesn't bode well for the future of our show by the way because that's the <laughs> stuff that's the stuff that we're uh, we like to talk about. Um and the other thing I was going to say is yeah, they're producing crap, but they're also attacking the audience for saying, hey, this is crap. We don't like it. Toxic fandom increases. I mean, it's not toxic fandom. It's people who don't like the trash you're making because you're making trash. Yeah, they, 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 they're conflating the idea of the entitled nerd or the entitled fan who says, you know, you owe me, you know, cameos by Han Solo, such and such. You, you owe me this whatever. You owe me this game, you owe me this movie, or something like that, with genuine criticisms of quality, where even uh, just a casual pop culture consumer who goes to see the latest Star Wars movie because their friend or cousin wants to do it or whatever, they have a legitimate complaint. Hey, this is a poorly written film. Like this is a bad story. This is a bad quality film. The acting is bad, or whatever, whatever you you want your complain about, right? They they have legitimate gripes, and and the the people who own IP or the marketers, uh, I I think deliberately, but yeah, whether deliberately or not, they're conflating that with the entitled nerd and and pointing at these legitimate criticisms and complaints and saying, oh, you're just an entitled fan. Go yeah. back, go back to your parents' basement and and cry about it on the internet. We're gonna keep making awesome Star Wars movies that everybody loves, except for you because you're a loser, right? That's not gonna fly because, you know, most most of us saw the last couple of Star Wars films. They're terrible. Um, it's it's a shame because a lot of people look, put a lot of hard work into them, especially the recent ones where they went back to using more practical effects and fewer animations, animated backgrounds and things. And it, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, I mean, it might matter if it was a good movie, but it doesn't matter if it's a terrible movie. And it, as far as movies goes, I think it may take a while for the movie makers to catch on, but we've had a decade or more of uh, flashy effects and animations covering up for mediocre or outright bad writing. Uh it's gonna take it's gonna take a little bit of time for for the problem to hit their bank accounts, but I think they're get, starting to get the message. Hey, you can't cover up for that anymore. We're kind of bored with the digital spectacle. I, I think the big problem with Hollywood is that they've gotten so used to buying original ideas from other medium, from video games or from other media. Excuse me, from video games or. Um, books or whatever, that there isn't a lot of people who are used to putting something together from scratch. They're not used to, you know, building a world like Star Wars anymore, putting together movies set in a world. I honestly think that even aside from Hollywood, across the board, the next renaissance in uh, imaginative fiction, right? The next renaissance in fantasy, science fiction, superheroes, what have you, is going to have to come from people who are right now very, very small and just only just earning their bones, only just laboring in obscurity uh, right now. That That's where the next, because that's where all the creativity is. That's where all the experiment uh, experimentation is going on. And they may not have quite hit what they needed to break uh, big into an audience, but um, that's going to have to be where the next renaissance comes from if, if there is to be one. Now, I, I fully believe there is going to be one because people actually love fantasy and science fiction and superheroes and stuff. Audiences love them when they're done right, when they're not preachy and, and ideological propaganda, and when they have good characters and good stories. 
and people have gotten used to them, and they want good stories. They want good movies. They want good comic books. They want good novels and short stories. Some of them may not know it yet because they've never actually had the chance to read one or to watch one, but they want that, and that's going to have to come from somewhere. And all of the small people, uh, you know, obviously including me as the smallest, because I haven't produced anything right now. I'm just working on something. Um, all of us, all of us small people, are going to be um, the source of the next renaissance. We just have to continue working, continue gaining, uh, you know, earning our skills, continue practicing techniques, continue making things better, and then at some point someone's going to break out big and everybody else will be able to to follow that person into success not because they're copying them but because the audience will all of a sudden realize hey yes that is exactly what i want and they will go looking for more because they always do always when you have something big audiences go looking for more of the same and people who can provide something that is kind of like that, but different enough to be original, they are successful too. So I don't know when or where that breakout's going to happen, but I am confident that it will happen. And I am confident that the only way that we're gonna put, uh, that this is gonna happen is coming from currently unknown people who are working hard and just not quite seeing the success that they will eventually see. Amen, amen. Should we uh, call it for today? I think I think we've just about done. Uh, we'll we'll have to change the name of the show once once there's a big <laughs> upheaval in geek culture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, I had fun. It was it was always fun chatting with you. Thanks for hanging out in the with the chat. Coyote Con, Brad Walker, a couple of other folks were in here earlier. Uh, so good show. Thanks a lot for listening in. Uh, we had kind of a different show today. Uh, we haven't done one like this for a long time, talking about a bunch of different topics that were still all linked uh, with kind of a through line. So that was nice. And I also want to thank everybody who came and listened to the show live and uh, participated in the chat. Appreciate all you guys. Um, and, you know, uh, we are here just about every Saturday, not quite every Saturday, but just about every Saturday. You can catch us on youtube.com slash geekgab. That is youtube.com slash geekgab. Or you can cast it, catch us on soundcloud.com, on the Apple uh, iTunes store, and on the Google Play store. Just do a search for Geek Gab, and you can subscribe to us in any one of those places and listen to us on the platform of your choice we are leaving you for today but don't you worry don't you fret we will be back